Just a few verses in Hosea's prophecy, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. And then we'll turn to our text in Revelation, chapter 17. Hosea, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Do not rejoice, O Israel, with exultation like the nations, for you have played the harlot, forsaking your God. You have loved harlot's earnings on every threshing floor. Threshing floor and wine press will not feed them, and new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. But Ephraim and, uh, will return to Egypt, and in Assyria they will eat unclean food. They will not pour out drink offerings of wine to the Lord. Their sacrifices will not please him. Their bread will be like mourner's bread. All who eat of it will be defiled, for their bread will be for themselves alone. It will not enter the house of the Lord. Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 6 is our text. We'll begin reading in chapter 16, verse 17. Revelation 16, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and spoke to me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the land committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the land were made drunk, with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and seven horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, 
I wondered greatly. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please, as we turn to our psalm of preparation, 119Q in the book of Psalms for singing. God, we believe the promises that you've given concerning your word, that it never returns to you void without accomplishing all that for which you've set it forth. We believe the promises that you've given us concerning your Holy Spirit, that the Spirit leads us into all the truth. We pray now that the Spirit who dwells in each believing heart would, each, uh, would lead each believer to the truth of your word, uh, that you would secure your word to our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapters 17 through 19 constitute a new section of the book of Revelation the sixth of seven cycles of vision to John. There are a couple of ways we can view this section in relation to the previous chapters in Revelation. Broadly, it forms a part of the judgment theme of Revelation that runs from chapter 5 
through chapter 19, like the, the seven seals of chapters 5 and 6, the seven trumpets of chapters 8 through 11, and the seven bowls of wrath in chapter 16. Chapters 17 through 19 describe the judgment of Jerusalem symbolized in chapter 17 as Babylon the Great, the harlot bride. More narrowly, chapters 17 to 19 are an interpretive expression, uh, an expansion of the, the seventh bowl of wrath where uh, we read in uh, the previous chapter this morning, Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. In verses 1 through 6 here in chapter 17, the mystery of the great harlot is presented. In verses 7 to 13, the angel who presented the mystery of the great harlot interprets that mystery of the great harlot for John and for his, his posterity, that is, for us and the church of all ages. In verses 1 through 6, we're taught how we ought to think about false religion. And to be to beware of false religion because of the judgments that await all of its adherents. Two things here in uh, verses one through six. In the first place, we need to understand who the great harlot is. Uh, we need to understand the identity of the great harlot. Secondly we'll look at the characteristics of the great harlot, the identity and characteristics of the great harlot. And so first, the, the identity. Who is this uh, great harlot? One of the seven angels who had poured out the, the, the bowls of wrath uh, shows John the fall of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Verse 1 says. Revelation refers to the harlot city named Babylon the Great in chapter 14 verse 8 and 16 verse 19. And now in 17 verse 1, the harlot's resemblance to the original Babylon is underscored by the information that she sits on many waters, an image taken from Jeremiah's description of Babylon in his Oracle of Judgment in Jeremiah 50 and 51. The expression, many waters, in Jeremiah 51, verse 13, refers both to the Euphrates that ran through the middle of Babylon and also the canals uh, that surrounded it. It's, it's uh, much like New Bern. It's much like this area of, of eastern North Carolina. We're surrounded by water here. Every, everywhere you turn, uh, there's water. That's one of the first things I noticed about New Bern when 
uh, my wife and I moved here is that there were a lot more trees than we're accustomed to see uh, in other places where we've lived. And there's also much more water. And that's what Babylon was like. And that's how John describes uh, the great harlot uh, that he is, uh, that, that the seventh angel is, uh, or the, the angel is revealing to, to John. Ultimately, a Babylon sitting on many waters refers to the great blessings that, that God had poured out on uh, even the pagan nation of Babylon. Think of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and God's dealings with Nebuchadnezzar and the blessings that, uh, that God poured out on, on, uh, on that nation. But Babylon prostituted that, uh, those blessings for her own glory. That's especially true of, of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And so John describes this great harlot here. Uh, he, as he records the angel and, his, and the revelation given through, uh, the revelation of Christ given through the angel, he describes the great harlot of his day in terms of her prototype and model, the original Babylon. Uh, later in chapter, uh, here in chapter 17, verse 15, we're informed of one aspect of the symbolic meaning of the many waters. But for now, the point is simply an identification of the harlot, the great harlot being revealed here, of the mystery of the great harlot with uh, the, the ancient city of Babylon. The kings of earth, the angel goes on in verse 2, have committed immorality with the harlot city. The expression here is taken from Isaiah 23, verses 15 to 17. In a prophecy against Tyre, where it primarily refers to the city's international commerce, in Nahum, chapter 3, verse 4, Nineveh is also accused of many harlotries with other nations. Most often, however... The image of a city or nation committing harlotries has to do uh, with the rebellious covenant people of God. The imagery of the harlot as a picture of spiritual adultery is quite common in the prophets. Jeremiah prophesied in the ears of Jerusalem, chapter 2 and verse 2 of his prophecy, against the harlot seeking after false, the false gods of pagan nations in place of her true husband, Jehovah. And in verse 32 of that second chapter of his prophecy, he asks, Jehovah asks, can a bride Forget her attire, the Lord says. Yet Israel has forgotten her God. Israel has forgotten her bridegroom. Israel's adulteries, Hosea declares, took place on every threshing floor. Chapter 9 
and verse 1 of his prophecy. The picture is of a woman prostituting herself for money in the grain house during harvest time. This carries a double meaning. First, Israel was apostatizing by worshiping Baal, the, the fertility god, seeking harvest blessing from false gods instead of the one true God. Second, the temple was built on a threshing floor. Second Chronicles 3, verse 1, symbolizing God's action throughout history in separating the chaff from the wheat. The threshing floor is also symbolic of the marriage relationship. The union of Boaz and Ruth took place on the threshing floor of, of, of Boaz. Instead of consummating her marriage to God through worship at his holy threshing floor, his bride Israel went whoring after God on every other threshing floor, prostrating herself before strange gods and foreign altars. Apostate Jerusalem is the harlot city. This theme becomes more prominent in Ezekiel's prophecy, especially in Ezekiel 16 and 23, where it's clear that her adulteries consist of both religious and political alliances with powerful pagan nations. This is clear, especially in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 26 to 29. So the people of Jerusalem in Ezekiel's day had abandoned the true faith, turning to pagan gods and ungodly nations for help, rather than trusting in the Lord as their protector and deliverer. It's important uh, to understand here that while uh, Israel seems to have regarded these relationships with other nations in primarily political terms, the prophets emphasized that the religious issues were central. The reliance on, uh, of the covenant nation on heathen powers couldn't be viewed as merely political expediency. It was nothing less in Jehovah's eyes than spiritual harlotry, spiritual adultery. And the same was true of first century Israel in John's day. At the very moment when the promised bridegroom of the church arrived, Israel was committing adultery with Caesar. The sight of her true husband, the Messiah, only drove her further into 
an adulterous relationship with the kings of the earth. Verse 2 here in chapter 17 of Revelation. Israel rejected Christ's kingship. They rejected their Messiah. The chief priests cried out, We have no king but Caesar. John 19, verse 15. Apostate Jerusalem is the great harlot city of Revelation 17. Her apostasy has led the whole nation into spiritual and political harlotry. Those who dwell on the land, verse 3, that is the Jewish people, were made drunk with the wine of her immorality, seduced into such a spiritual stupor that they didn't recognize their own Messiah. They didn't acknowledge the one that their God, Jehovah, had promised, the one he'd sent to them. They were intoxicated by their apparently successful relationship with imperial Rome, not realizing that they were being dragged to their own execution. In recent years, biblical interpreters have attempted to associate the great harlot with the city of Rome itself. But the church throughout Christian history has generally understood that the harlot is in some sense a false bride, a demonic imitation of the true bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church. The identification of the harlot with uh, first century Jerusalem is supported by several pieces of evidence. First, as we've seen, uh, the language of harlotry is primarily used uh, in the Old Testament to refer to apostate Israel. In the Old Testament, the metaphor of the bride falling into adultery, that is, into apostasy, is so well known that such an identification with the city of Jerusalem here is all but inescapable. Second, the harlot is sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names. And the scarlet beast is the Roman Empire, as we have discerned from our exposition of chapter 13. So uh, what's being depicted here is not Rome sitting upon itself, but uh, Jerusalem, the harlot city, sitting on uh, the scarlet beast representing the Roman Empire. And this dual, this, uh, this evil duo is continuously uh, represented to us in, uh, in the, the sea beast and the land beast, the Roman Empire and the false teachers of uh, Israel elsewhere called the false prophet. Here uh, later in Revelation chapter 16, 13, 19, 20, and 2010. And these two entities, whether expressed as the sea and land beast, 
the beast and the false prophet, or here in chapter 17, the harlot and the scarlet beast are paired together in Revelation to show their alliance in opposition to Christ. Israel was certainly in league with Rome, certainly cooperated with Rome in crucifying her Messiah. Third, the harlot is clothed in purple and scarlet, still passing herself off as the true bride. Jesus says of apostate Israel in Revelation 2, verse 9, and 3, verse 9, they say they are Jews and are not. They lie and are a synagogue of Satan. It's also worth noting that the first century Jewish historian Josephus records that the temple veil was embroidered with scarlet and purple. And then fourth, we'll elaborate on this uh, further in the next point. The great harlot is drunk with the blood of the saints. So much then for the identity of the great harlot. Secondly, we want to consider the characteristics. What is this harlot? How does the, the, the angel who presents the mystery of the great harlot to John, how does he describe her? First, she dwells in the wilderness. Verse 3, we've already seen this. Uh, imagery in Revelation 12, 6 and 14, where the woman who represents the believing uh, remnant of Israel and the church of all ages is pictured as fleeing and flying to the wilderness from the oppression of Satan, the great red dragon. But that wilderness sojourn was out of necessity and for a specified time. For 1260 days, for three and a half years, symbolically here in Revelation. The true bride doesn't dwell in the wilderness, the sign of the curse, the habitation of demons, not by preference. God led his people through the wilderness to humble them, to test them, to discipline them before leading them into the promised land. To the false bride, however, the wilderness is her domain. That's where she prefers to dwell. She chooses to remain there rather than to follow the Lord to the promised land. The wilderness is her heritage. It's her destiny. This is, again, Familiar prophetic language, familiar prophetic imagery. Apostate Jerusalem is a harlot plying her trade along wilderness roads like a wild donkey in heat. Jeremiah 2, 24, Hosea 2, verses 3 and 4. She dwells in the wilderness. Secondly, the woman is clothed in purple 
and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Keeping with the biblical description of the righteous woman in Proverbs 31, as well as of the glorious city of God, revealed both in Old and New Testaments, Isaiah 54, verses 11 and 12, Revelation 21, verses 18 to 21. Christ wants John to see, and he wants us to see the harlot adorned in the beautiful garments of the church. He wants us to understand that this degenerate harlot who commits despicable acts of immorality and is unfaithful to her Lord still carries the trappings of the pure and chaste bride passing herself off as the true church. The bride even celebrates a communion of sorts. Verse 4, she holds in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and the unclean things of her immorality. The picture is slightly changed from that of Jeremiah 51.7, where the original Babylon is described as a golden cup in the hand of the Lord intoxicating all the earth, but the basic idea here is similar. Jerusalem still has the beautiful cup of the covenant, but the communion that she offers leads people to death and destruction. Her cup is full of abominations, a word that the Bible often uses in connection with the worship of false gods. Deuteronomy 29, verse 17. Ezekiel 5, verse 11, for example. Why are false religions, some that claim to be Christian and liberal churches that deplete the gospel of the divine Christ, born of a virgin, who died to atone for the sins of his people, rose from the dead and will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead at the end of the age. Why are these so dangerous? Why are we getting this warning in Revelation? Because they carry the trappings of true religion. They carry the trappings of the biblical faith. And these trappings are intoxicating. They lure in the spiritually naive and ignorant. And Jesus warns us in this revelation to John to beware of the great harlot. Third, verse 5, the harlot has on her name, on her forehead, a name written. By now, the writing on the forehead is a familiar image. 
in Revelation. We've seen it on the saints. Chapter 3 and verse 17. Or rather, chapter 3 and verse 12. Chapter 7, verse 3. Chapter 14, verse 1. And we've seen it on the followers of the beast. Chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. In the Old Testament, the forehead is singled out especially as a symbol of rebellion. Isaiah 48, verse 4, Ezekiel 3 and verse 9. Rebellious Israel is said in Jeremiah 3, verse 3, to have a harlot's forehead. But the name written on the great harlot's forehead begins with the word mystery. Leading one biblical interpreter to observe that if the prostitute is called mystery, that means that she, even in the moment in which she is judged and condemned, still forms an integral and important part in the divine plan. This cannot be the case. In other words, this cannot be said for Rome or any other pagan city, but only for Jerusalem. Only she and no other city will be renewed and will descend from heaven upon Mount Zion to celebrate a marriage with the Lamb. The harlot's symbolic name is Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abomination, abominations of the earth. She's named Babylon the Great because she's heiress. She's namesake of the ancient city that was the epitome of rebellion against God. Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, Jeremiah 50 and 51. Why is the great harlot named the mother of harlots? We're familiar with language like this. Uh, The mother of all lies. The mother of all wars. The mother of all storms. That's the kind of, kind of term, terminology that, uh, that, that we use. It refers to something that's larger, something that's worse, more harmful or destructive than things of the same kind. Jerusalem is described as a mother of harlots in Ezekiel 16 44 to 48, and she's named the mother of harlots here in Revelation because her harlotry rises to the greatest degree. Why? Because of her covenantal status. Because she's heir to all the blessings of the covenant. And that's Paul's uh, rationale in uh, the book of Romans where he writes quite passionately, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies me 
testifies with me in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are the Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ, the Messiah, according to all the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever and ever. Amen. That's why Israel has written to the greatest level of apostasy because she has sinned with knowledge. And there's a sense, of course, in which that's true of us as believers in Jesus Christ who sin against our God with knowledge. It's a great apostasy against our God. Fourth, the harlot is drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. It was Jerusalem, chapter 11, who, uh, the, the, the city of Jerusalem was guilty of uh, slaying the two witnesses of the Lord, representing the testimony of, uh, of the church. And here, uh, while it's true that Rome persecuted the church, it was Israel that instigated Rome to persecute the church. The Roman persecution came through the nudging of, of the Jews. The book of Acts constantly informs us of this. Jerusalem's whole history, as we've noted, was one of relentless persecution of the saints and the prophets. As Revelation 18, 21 to 24 reveals, in Babylon, the great city was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain upon the land. Jerusalem was the persecutor of the prophets and the saints par excellence. Another reason for her name, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The vision to John of the mother of harlots overwhelms him with amazement, verse 6 says. Literally, John writes, I wondered with a great wonder which we'll see next week, Lord willing, includes both perplexity and fear. The same language of, of wonder in the sense of horrified astonishment describes Daniel's response to the impending judgment symbolized in the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great tree cut down by God's command, Daniel 4, verse 19. 
John may have even been captivated, at least temporarily, by the full extent of the great harlot's appearance. John's record of this vision warns us against being seduced by the harlot, no matter how impressive her appearance may be. We need to heed this warning. False religion isn't only dangerous, it's despicable. That's how God presents false religion in this revelation to John. It's heinous in the Lord's eyes. We must learn to say with the psalmist, Psalm 119, 103 to 104, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. How easily is it possible for naive and ignorant people, even among God's people, to be seduced by the attractive appearance of false religion. This is a clear and present danger to the church of Jesus Christ today. I learned only recently that one of the members of one of the churches, of uh, one of the member churches of our presbytery, has left the Orthodox Presbyterian Church for the Roman Catholic Church. That's how seductive false religion is. It can be so alluring. It can, it can be so charming to the eyes of the, na- the naive and, and ignorant. If only false churches and the false religions of our age had their true name written upon their foreheads, in their dogma, on their buildings and marquees, Babylon the great mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the land. The antidote to being deceived by the false bride of false religion is to understand the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which the angel will explain to John in the next section of the vision here in chapter 17. The antidote to all that is false to all that's dangerous, despicable, and heinous is the true bride's fidelity to biblical religion and to her glorious bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our God and our Father, we humble ourselves before you And we ask you, O God, you would enable us 
to take the antidote to all that's false. To false religion, to uh, liberal theology in the church, and that you would enable us to be faithful to the true religion, the biblical religion, and to our glorious bridegroom, Jesus Christ. You know our hearts, O God. You know our tendencies. You know how easily deceived we are, even as the woman was deceived by the serpent. So we pray that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts through the Spirit himself, by means of your holy word, that we might follow after our great bridegroom, Jesus Christ, all the days of our life and serve him with fidelity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.